Okay, if you've got your Bible, open it to the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you need one, raise your hand and they'll get you one. I see that hand. Hold your hands up, he'll, he'll get that to you. Well, we just began this series in Ecclesiastes and we've entitled it Under the Sun. And I'm really loving this book. I, I love it for so many reasons. I love it that it's a sacred book and yet it's dealing with an unfiltered mind that has questions. And those questions are just open for us to look into, into Solomon's life, into who he was and the way he was thinking. Last week we talked about how he asked the Lord for wisdom when he was taking over from his father David's place and, and stepping into this role. He asked God for wisdom. God said, what do you want? And he says, I want wisdom so I can know how to rule these people. And God was blessed with his asking for wisdom and not asking for wealth or for fame or to kill his enemies, maybe some things that we would normally ask. But he asked for wisdom instead. And so God said, I'm going to give you wisdom like no one else, but I'm also going to give you those things that you didn't ask for. And so in Solomon's life, we see this wisdom of God being displayed and being made evident in the things that he did for the nation of Israel. In his books, the things that were written by him, we have the Song of Songs, which is this romantic book. We have Proverbs, which are these sayings that are powerful. And at the end of his life, we see the book of Ecclesiastes, which is this time of reflection when he sees that there is more memories behind him than there is future ahead of him. And this contemplative thought of what is this life really about? And it's a dark and honest book, and I love it for those reasons. I love it because it, it resonates with so many questions that we have, but maybe we've been told as followers of Christ we shouldn't have, but we can identify so well with this. And, and so we see that... Solomon is stepping into this honest dialogue. And we want to pick up where we left off last week in verse 12, chapter 1. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That ought to brighten your day, huh? 
I remember my daughter and I were talking after last week, talking about Solomon's wisdom and yet his despair. And she asked the question, how can someone with such wisdom and such insight to know what's right and wrong go to this place of despair? How can he be so filled with wisdom and yet so confused? And I think we all wonder that question. And what we find out is that wisdom is not enough. What you know is not enough. It's not enough just to have the information and understanding, that there is more that is necessary. And so it's not a matter of him knowing what's right and wrong, good or bad, or even good to great. But to be a person that can get past this despair, it has to be someone who has more than an understanding about the, the things and the situations, the issues that he's dealing with. There's, there's something missing that wisdom will not guarantee that his life does not end in ruin. And, and that's something that should make us stop and think, that it's not enough just to know to keep us from making mistakes, from going to this place of ruin. And that's a difficult thing for us because we are in this age of enlightenment. We are a part of this scientific discovery where we are going to solve all the world's problems by investigation. And what we really need is just more education, more knowledge, more information. And Solomon is pursuing all these fields of understanding. He's basically pursuing what we call philosophy. And that's something that we've embraced, and it's been a, a romantic encounter that we've had, that this is going to lead us to these areas of truth and understanding, and all our problems will be left behind. But Solomon pursues this probably like no one before him or after. And he comes to the conclusion, it's all just like chasing the wind. And he's going to go on and we're going to kind of get to journey with him through his exploits and all the things he, he gives himself to, to see how these things influence his life. And he comes up with, it doesn't matter if you're a peasant or a king, it's meaningless just chasing after the wind. You know, philosophy, the idea, sometimes can, we can get lost. We can be too smart for our own good. We can overthink things. There's one quote I like. It said that philosophy is the unintelligible answer to insoluble problems. It's like, it doesn't mean anything. It's just like, I don't get it. I, I just will talk about it until you don't get it too. And then we'll say, ah, I get it. What? We get it that we don't get it. And that's kind of this philosophical, you know, gymnastics. We're going to talk about these things. We're going to pursue these things, but it's not really going to produce any change in our lives. And as he says in verse 13, this is a heavy burden that God has placed on us. You know, the truth that's out there, there are enough things happening in life that should cause us to think deeply and constantly. There are enough problems in the world to keep our mind going to these things. And, and sometimes I wonder when people say, well, I don't have any, you know, I don't think like that. I don't have any deep thoughts. It's like, 
you watch too much TV or, or something. You, you're, you're, you're not aware or engaged with what's happening around you. Not that it's wrong to watch TV and enjoy a good comedy or a film or to have this kind of escape, but there is so much that takes place, so much hardship and difficulty that every now and then it, it just captures our heart and it grips us. When you see the hardship that people go through, I got a phone call this morning from uh, Joanne Pomersky and her son Tim was hit by a car last night. He's okay. But he's up in Canada and uh, get that call and of course Tim knows his mom. He calls, Mom, it's okay. Don't freak out. That's the first thing he says to her. Why? Because she's going to freak out. But pray for him. He, he his knee was injured, and of course, if you know Tim, he plays baseball, he's a pitcher. That could be uh, devastating to him, and so we want to pray for him. But then you ask the question, God, why would this happen? Someone just drives their car into a crowd. What on earth is going on? And then maybe it's why my son being there involved with this situation. And, and I felt free to share this because she posted it on Facebook. So... figure I got the green light. If she posted it, I could share that conversation. Um, anyway, but I'm sure she is, again, desiring our prayer for this situation. But wouldn't Solomon know better? If he had all this wisdom, wouldn't he know better? How can someone so wise think that everything's meaningless? That's a haunting question. And that's what we're going to kind of dive into. It's interesting because he, he's so introspective here. You know, he, he's, he's all about himself in these verses. And, and as we ask the question, how could someone so wise think life is so meaningless? But, you know, that's not an uncommon thing for people to have information but not know what to do with the information. I've known a few teachers who really should not teach. Have you guys... Can I get an amen? You know... It's like, they, I hate kids. Why are you a teacher? Well, I went to school. I got the degree. I'm a teacher. You shouldn't teach just because you've got the, the degree or the diplomas. There are police officers who should not have authority. There are pastors who should not be communicating or in a place of the pulpit. There, there are People in different places who, although they know how or the information, they should not be in that place of responsibility. Jim Collins, who wrote that book, Good to Great, he's one of the premier speakers about leadership. I'm the level five leader. And he was asked, are you a leader? And he said, no, I'm a teacher. It was surprising. Wait a second. You have gathered all this data that has made Fortune 500 companies that have lasted for hundreds of years. Those people who have made these things successful, you have identified those, you know, DNA of these people that helps them to be in this role, and you aren't a leader? And he said, no, I'm not a leader, but I'm a teacher. And so Solomon, all this wisdom that he has doesn't mean he knows what to do with it doesn't mean he's appropriating it the right way, which should, again, challenge us. The information that we get, if it's not enough, then what else do we need? Because we do need more. 
And we see from his introspective behavior, all these things, he's not just describing humanity here. I, I think he's describing himself. I mean, he talks about himself in so many ways. I, the teacher, I devoted, I have seen, I thought to myself, I have grown, I have experienced, I have applied myself, I have learned. This is his journey. He's talking about these things. And so when he says in verse 15, what is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I, I think he's talking about himself and not just humanity. And, and what he's saying is, even though I have gotten all this wisdom how is it that I still act like this? Now, can anyone identify with that? Can anyone identify, although I have so much knowledge or in this relationship that I have with God, I, I know so much, why am I still like this? And you see, this is the honest and pressing question, isn't it? This isn't just we're playing Christianity here. This is God challenging us. What do you really believe? And why do you, if you believe this, still act like this? And we find that there's this challenge within us. And we've talked about this a couple of times. We talked about this, touched on it last week and the week before, we talked about Jer Jeremiah 13, 23. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. That which is crooked can't be made straight. I just can't get over these things. And it's so easy to, to be judgmental about other people who have issues that we don't. Isn't it? You see someone who has a problem, but you don't have that problem. How can they have a gambling problem? Man, I work too hard for that money. I'm not going to just give it away. And it's not a problem, so we can be very judgmental about those things. No, man, they know they have a drinking problem. Why do they go to the bar? But they do. You know, and it's the person who has no weight issues that is always able to talk about people who are overweight. I mean, you can be on a Twinkie diet and your metabolism, you know, doesn't change and you act like it's a virtue. You just don't eat as much and go to the gym and you'll be fine. And then there's these other people who are like, man, I lose weight, I lose weight, I lose weight. But it always finds me. It doesn't matter how I lose it. It, it just comes back and it finds me. And we have these struggles and it seems like, man, I just can't get over these things. They're... There's this area in our life that is crooked and we just don't know how to make it straight. Or we seem like we're doing so well and we're getting over situations and then we go back to the family reunion, you know, and it's like <laughs> all the worst of me comes out. The people who know me as I used to be. And this struggle and this battle that's within us and what is lacking that he says there cannot be counted. It's like you can't count what isn't there. And I think what Solomon was experiencing here is 
there is no hope for him to change if there is nothing there that can change him. And that's the same thing that Jeremiah is talking about. You know, you can't change who you are. You can't stop from these things that you do if there's not something else in you that is able to help you change. And Solomon was void in this. And so, yeah, that's when life comes, becomes meaningless. Remember last week we talked about this is how life looks under the sun. We're forgetting what is above the sun or this heaven realm. We're, we're, we're distancing ourselves from God, as I talked about last week. Every time he sp- speaks about God some 40 times, he uses the word Elohim, which is this creator God, this God who is distant. He doesn't use the word Jehovah or Yahweh, the God who is my God, this personal God. He's a deist who believes in a God, but this God is not having an influence on me or does not have an influence on me. And so there's this despair. I I can't fix what's broken in me. I can't make straight what is crooked. And when I try and all these things I've learned, I find out that I'm still who I really am. And you see, this is the thing that has opened my eyes about Christ and about following after Jesus. No one else deals with the problem of who I am. Everyone else says, make it better. Change. Try harder. Don't do that. If you do this, you're going to be outcasted. Or if you do this, you'll have to come back and try again. Don't change who you are. And we find ourselves, I can't change my spots. I can't make myself straight. I am who I am. We all know what is the right thing to do, and we all fail to do the right thing. What's the problem? The problem is me. Who can fix me because I cannot fix myself. And that's where we separate the men from the boys as far as our faith's concerned because the only one who says, I will fix you, is Jesus. He doesn't say, fix yourself. He says, I've come to fix you. I took care of your deficiencies. I took the cost of them. And Solomon is in a place where he does not see that God is distant. God is aloof. And so he can't fix what is broken within him. Wisdom and knowledge in verse 16, he says, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. And so now he's starting to to get a little bit more intricate. It's not just wisdom, it's wisdom and knowledge. You know, the more you know about something, the more words you have to to utilize those things. And so wisdom is one thing, knowledge is another thing, and dissecting them is getting a little bit more detailed. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is how that information came about, what that information is for. It's an application to the information. And so now Solomon is getting into a little bit more detail, and I love this little trilogy that he comes up with here. In verse 17, he says, Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. What, what things to you know, be involved? Wisdom, madness, and folly. 
How are those things related? And madness, that's so old school, isn't it? He's gone mad, you know? You have to say it with a Boris Karloff accent. Some of you don't know who Boris Karloff is. Okay. You know, but now we've gotten so detailed, the idea of madness, insane. We've gone into this language so much more. Now we have understanding of how we think. And so there's ADD and ADHD, and you all know what it means. And some of you even know what medication you're taking for that. And then there's, you know, bipolar, and there's manic depressive, and there's OCD, there's OCD, there's OCD, you know, there's... And we've delved into this because we're in this place where we recognize our madness. We recognize our brokenness. But here when Solomon is talking about madness, really what he's talking about is excessive indulgence. He's talking about how he gave in to excess. And so let's go back and let's look a little bit about some of these things, this excessive indulgence. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 10. It's great that we get to look at someone's life. I, I love the scriptures, how they, they're just so true. And I'm so glad I'm not in them. You know, it's like, I'm glad this isn't writing about me. Boy, here everyone, read this. Starting at verse 23, it says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God put in his heart. Imagine being that guy. Everyone wants an audience with you just to hear you. They're not coming to even get stuff from you. They just want to come and get that wisdom that you have. You are the man. You are that guy. And so it goes on and he says, year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices, and horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities. He had chariot cities. Chariot cities. Jay Leno had nothing on Solomon. All his cars in his garage, that ain't nothing. He had cities for his chariots. And also with him in Jerusalem, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. And so Solomon's wisdom has produced wealth, has produced affluence that everyone is benefiting from. And so people from all over the world are coming to gain some insight into Solomon, how he's made this happen, his wisdom that has affected the lives of his nation and now the whole world, and to see that he has just so much... The idea of horses and chariots is the idea of power. And we see that these are his. This isn't the nation's. This is his. 12,000 horses. I've got chariot cities. 
You know, you have your town home, I have my chariot city. And so we see that Solomon's affluence is just exceeding that of anyone before him. Go over to chapter 11, verse 1. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heart after their gods. I need to stop and make this point clear because people have taken this scripture and have abused it and twisted and perverted it to say that God is not for interracial marriage. Scriptures have never said that, never taught that. There's nothing in the scripture that talks about not having interracial marriages. It's not about ethnicity. He tells us what it's about. And he says, because they will surely turn your heart after their gods, in verse 2. That's why. Not because they're of a different nationality. It's because they're of a different belief, which is an important thing. You see, you need to be careful who you give your heart to because whoever you give your heart to, they will take it to what they love. And so Solomon gave himself to these wives and they took his heart. It goes on and it says, Nevertheless, Solomon had held fast to them in love. Interesting. He held on to them and wherever they went, he held on to them in love. Verse 3, it says, He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. I'm not even going to say anything. (laughs) I, I don't think anything else needs to be said. That pretty much says it. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. He followed Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. And so we see that Solomon, with all his wisdom, was still susceptible And you see, this idea of madness can be connected even to something that is good. Having a wife, it's a good thing. Recommend it. Having two wives, not so good. Don't recommend it. (laughs) Having 700 wives, are you mad? Out of control. Well, I like this. I'll just have a little bit more of it. And a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And you see, anything in excess becomes a problem. And and so many times, that's the situation we find ourselves in. We want more. You, you find people who have given themselves to, to money and wanting you know, to gather wealth. 
And you ask them, so why do you want to, to make it rich? Why do you want to be a millionaire? So I can do what I want. What do you want to do? I don't know. So you want all this money to do what you want, but you don't really know what you want to do. Well, I want to have a nice car. Well, don't you have a nice car? I want a nicer car. I want a couple of nicer cars. And you see, when does it stop? When does the madness stop? When is enough enough? When do you say, I've got enough. I don't need another car. I don't need another guitar. Now we're getting personal. I don't need another pair of shoes. Now we're getting real personal. I better back off. You see, you'll give yourself over and over to these things. And pretty soon you've lost sight of what you need. And it's all about what you want. And it's no purpose. Why do you want the money? I don't know. And so you will give yourself over. You will kill yourself. You will sacrifice your time, your life, your family for more of what you really don't know what it's for. And what we see with Solomon and his wives, that it, it doesn't matter, even if you know the right thing to do, if you love the wrong thing, you will make the wrong choice. I've said that before, and this is so important. You can know the right thing to do, but if you love the wrong thing, you will make the wrong choice. And so you have this understanding of what's right, but you love what is wrong, and you will do what you love. And so Solomon gave himself and started going into this area of madness that led his life to ruin. And so all the wisdom in the world will not save your life from ruin if you love the wrong thing, if you love those things that will destroy you which should make us stop and think, do I love things that will destroy me? Am I giving myself over to things that are devastating to me in my life? Why? Is it because I love them? Is it because that's really what I want and we're just not acknowledging it? You know, this pursuit of happiness, this pursuit of trying to get what we want to satisfy us. You know, so many of us, think that, man, if I just was financially set, I would be happy. And some of that is true. There's actually some studies that they did. Daniel Kahneman, he's a, a psychologist and a Nobel laureate, he interviewed and did this research over 60,000 people, and he found that up to a certain point, how much you earn can make you happy. And it wasn't so much that it'll make you happy, it's that the lack of money can make you miserable. Can anyone say amen to that? But he found that, at, and I don't know all the details in the article I read, but at $60,000, you hit a flat line where if you made up to $60,000, you could increase, so to speak, your happiness and your ability to make ends meet. But at $60,000, it just flatlined. And no matter how much money you made above that, it did not make you any happier. It didn't matter if it was 100000 if it was 600000 if it was $6 million. It didn't change your happiness. And so all these people who think, well, I need to make 100000 and so I'm going to work 80 hours a week and I'm going to 
you know, take on this other job and take on this other investment and I'm going to diversify here and I'm going to pursue this. And they give themselves and they give themselves. They're not making themselves any, other, any happier. They're, they're giving themselves to madness. Why do you need more? It's not going to make you any happier. You see, and so up to a certain point, you can earn more that will help in your happiness. And I know some of you, so some of us can, you know, be much more happy than we are right now. But then at a certain point, why? What are you trying for? What is your goal? What is your purpose to get more? Are you pursuing madness? Are you in the hamster wheel and you're running to get more, to get more, to get more, but you're not going anywhere? And you see, Solomon was in this place. I just have to have more. I have to have more. I have to have more. And the question, why? You're destroying yourself. You're giving yourself, and it's becoming foolishness. This is madness. Moving after something in excess. Verse 17 of back to, actually go down to verse 9 of chapter 11 here in 1 Kings. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. God had made himself undeniably known to Solomon two times. And Solomon lived as if it didn't happen. I think many times God will reveal himself to us, but because we are caught up in the madness, we forget what has happened. We forget the words he spoke to us. We forget things that he has given or done for us because we're consumed with the madness. And so Solomon twice heard from God undeniably, but he'd forgotten it. And so we see here in this book, in the latter part of Solomon's life, this meaningless, meaningless, and we connect it to this understanding. You've forgotten the important things. You forgot that God revealed himself to you. And so now you're living your life under the sun, and God is distant. To turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and verse 17, it says, Or verse 18, it says, For with much sorrow comes much, or with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. It's difficult when you know a situation and you see someone in a situation and they're leading their life to ruin. And you see the patterns. You, you see where they're headed. You have an understanding. If you continue to do this with your life, you're going to end up being addicted. You're going to end up being devastated. You're going to end up being hurt, led to ruin, whatever the circumstance might be. If you continue in this pattern, it's going to be a problem for you. And so you need to step out of that. And you can see that and you try and portray that to someone, but they don't listen to your advice and, and it's hurtful. It's hard. You see it with your children. If you do this, this is going to happen. How do I know? Well, I, I kind of did that. I was there once. I know what I'm talking about, but they go and they do it anyway. 
And you see it, and with that wisdom is just a hurt. And you see, wisdom is the ability to see patterns and distinguish them. Chess players do that. They, they can look at a chessboard and they can see all the patterns there. They know, you know, that horse one makes the L, you know. Yeah, I'm a chess player, you know. They, they know all the different things that happen and they don't see just one pattern. They see multiple patterns. And, and we see those things and it gives us wisdom. We know that if you see this person, oh, I've dealt with this kind of person before. If you date this kind of guy, you know what it's going to be. Oh, I see the pattern. Jerk, 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 jerk. And you recognize the pattern. Why? Because I've, I've seen this take place in a person before. But some people don't see the pattern. They're blind to it. No, he's so nice. He bought me a drink at 2 a.m. and took me home. He was the nicest guy in the world. You don't see the pattern. Every guy I've met at the bar who's bought me a drink and taken me home has been a jerk. Pattern, pattern. And when we start seeing these patterns, we start understanding how things are going to take place. And it can be a burden when you see those things in other people's lives. It can be a hardship that we, we take and we know what the right thing is, but these people aren't giving their commitment to the right thing. And you see, we think of wisdom and knowledge, and this takes place even in this Christian environment where it's a matter of just knowing enough. We just have to know more information. We have to learn more. And, and you see, wisdom is not just knowing information. Because have you ever known someone who knows the truth, but they use it like a shotgun? I'm going to give you the truth. To blast! You're there bleeding, and that's what the truth looks like. And so it's like, man, the truth hurts, and they just start pounding. They don't care about your feelings. They don't care about getting you from this point to that point. They just give you the truth. And it's my job to give you the truth, and they leave a wake of people bleeding everywhere they go. And so they see their friend. You know, I need to tell Johnny the truth. You know, you go to a Bible study together and then you go up to Johnny. Johnny, you talk too much and what you say just doesn't make any sense. There, I feel better. God bless you, man. I just had to tell you the truth. <clears throat> and Johnny's left in devastation. You know, he's now depressed. But you told him the truth. And you see, you know, if you talk to everyone at the, the Bible study, they would all have the consensus, yeah, Johnny does talk too much. He does tend to dominate the conversation. Yeah, sometimes it's all just about him. It's about him, and it is tiring. They might all agree, yeah, that's the truth, but is that really what you want to do? See, here's a little idea of how you can take wisdom to a place where it's valuable. Wisdom is knowing the right thing. Knowing what the right thing is, but it's also being committed to doing the right thing and doing it the right way. So it's knowing what is right, what is true, but then it's being committed to doing what is true. Because there's people who know the truth and they just don't do it. They can tell you why they shouldn't have the affair. 
but they still have it. They know it's going to devastate their family, but they still do it. So it's not enough just to know those things. You have to be committed to doing what you know is right. I'm going to live my life in alignment with what is true. And then I'm also going to do it the right way. In the situation with this guy, Johnny, at the Bible study, truth is he talks too much. Truth is, if he doesn't shut up, everyone's going to leave and not come to the Bible study anymore. That's the truth. So we're committed to, to fixing the situation. We want to help get this so that it's not going to affect all these people, but there's got to be a way to do it so that Johnny is not devastated and becomes a casualty because we told him the truth. And so you talk to him and say, hey, I, you know, I know you have a lot of things to share, but it's real important to make space for other people to be able to get involved too. I think you'll find that people will engage you more if you make space for them instead of trying to dominate the situation. Because maybe Johnny's got some hang-ups. I remember, this is, just came to my mind, there was this kid named Howard, and it was in eighth grade, and Howard was a jerk. Howard was a bully. He was a big guy. And he used to go around and push me around, and a lot of other people too. And so everyone hated Howard. I remember what he looks like. You know, I just remember he had curly hair, and, and he was a bigger guy. And I remember one time Howard came up and he, he pushed me and knocked me down. And I remember standing up and I said, Howard, why are you being such a jerk, man? No one is going to like you if you keep pushing people around. And it was like this light bulb went off in his head. It was like, ding, that's why I have no friends. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. Yeah, you don't push people down and get to be there. But all, after that moment, Howard became my friend. He stopped pushing me. And all I did, and I didn't even do it really in a nice way. I was kind of bummed and mad. But just giving the information that was helpful and doing things in the right way can help heal the situation. And so wisdom isn't just knowing the truth. It's committing yourself to the truth and doing it in a way that's beautiful, that produces something in our lives. And you see, what, what's happening, I fear, in, in the church today is we've become about learning. We've become about knowing information. Have you ever heard the term, I want, just we want to get deep. We want to get deep in the word. And I'm like, what does that mean? I want to get deep. Yeah, me too, man. I want to get deep. Oh, not my voice. You know. And what most people mean by getting deep is, I want to look at the Greek and I want to dissect it. I want to find out what each word means and I want to go into the Hebrew and I want to find the root words and I want to see how these things are related to each other and I want to know all the nuances of Scripture and I want to be able to distinguish between the law and the prophets and all the things that took place and be able to fulfill the, the work of Jesus Christ as seen in the Old Testament. I want to do all these things. Wow, man, that's pretty deep. That's really deep. Is it changing who you are? Is it making what is crooked straight in you? Because if it's not, I don't care. I don't care how much you know. If it's not having a regenerative work in your life, it's meaningless. You will become a Pharisee. 
there will be no change in your life. You've got a wealth of information, and you can shotgun people with it all you want. Boy, when you go into apologetics class, you blast them and you leave them wounded, and you haven't made anyone a convert. And you still treat your family the same way. You still have the same hang-ups. You still have pride. You still have these issues. You're still crooked. See, to me, deep is saying, God, what needs to change in me and make the change? To me, that's deep. When Paul talked about, you know, not being just giving them the milk, but giving them meat, solid food. He wasn't talking about more information. That was their problem. They had a lot of information. He was saying, you guys need to know how to grow up and do things that you've been taught. And so what we need to do is gain wisdom that is connected to truth, that is committed to truth, and is committed to doing it in a beautiful way. Solomon's problem. Solomon strayed from the truth and he thought excess was going to be the answer. And he went mad and was given over to foolishness. Let's learn from Solomon, his mistakes, and let's remember what God has told us and who he is because only he can make what is crooked straight. Only he can change us and we are dependent on him. Let's pray. God, you desire not only to reveal yourself and the truth of who you are to us, but you desire to help us to walk in that truth and to lead others in that way as well. And Lord, I, I pray that we would learn from Solomon's folly, from his madness, that we would recognize that we too are crooked and can't be straight and what's lacking can't be counted because it's just not in us, God. There's just nothing there that can make us whole. We are constantly pursuing, constantly desiring, constantly hungry for more. And what needs to change, God, is our heart. You need to create a new heart within us. You need to make us new creations. You need to make us straight. Otherwise, we just go back to who we are. But Lord, that's why you came. And Jesus, we have hope in you. And I think so many of us can look at Solomon and have the same sense of meaningless and hopelessness. And we think that if we just get more, we get more, we get more, we will answer our life's needs, but it's madness. God, help us to see past the madness. Give us clarity and understanding here that we wouldn't make the same mistakes that Solomon made. Lord, that you would make us straight. For we ask it in Jesus' name.